We're going to continue in the message that we started last week. You'll remember we're in the midst of, a, of one message that's going to last for three weeks because we're looking at the triune nature of God, the trinity of God. And in so doing, we're looking at God the Father last week, God the Son this week, God the Holy Spirit next week. So last week, we stepped into theology proper. Theology proper is the study of God, who He is, and, and it begins to break down the Trinity. And today, we're looking at Christology. And isn't it great to use these big words, Mel? So it's really helpful. But Christology is that study of Christ and who He is and all that Scripture says about Him. And next week, of course, we'll look at pneumatology, which, you know, we'll explain that next week. There we go. But last week I brought this quote to you from Tozer. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, if true, if Tozer's right in that, then what comes to our mind when we think about God influences absolutely every other thing that we think about. And if we have an accurate view of who God is, then we'll have a, an accurate view of who we are, why we've been created, why we're in relationship, what relationship with Him is intended to be, what life is all about. We'll look at these roses that signify new life in our congregation. Oh, and, and um, can't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm supposed to know this. It's in the bulletin. Aaron and Derek's, yes, okay. So, there we go, feet of clay. Oh, and, and I need to know it. I gotta stop here. I write it down. I'm sorry, I forgot. Derek and Aaron are blessed with a daughter, Azariah Eden. Azariah, okay. And Michael and Angela, blessed with Owen. And so these two flowers represent new life. And as we look at our accurate view of who God is, we look at that differently than if we have an inaccurate view of who God is. And so we're looking at the truth of how God has revealed himself in Scripture and who he has revealed himself to be. And so we're looking at the church living as the light, and we're discovering the joy of discovering the Trinity. And the verse that we looked at last week that we'll be looking at over the next two weeks is this one from John chapter 20, verse 31, which says, these are written. These are written. John, prior to that, says there's all sorts of things that could have been written, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I, 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 I suggested to you last week that the Trinity is visible within this verse. And some of you are like, I don't really see the Trinity in that verse. I see that verse is talking about Jesus. And, and as we unpack this verse over last week, this week, and next week, my, my prayer is that we'll be able to see the Trinity within this verse. Because when we can see the Trinity, even though the word Trinity is never found in Scripture, when we can begin to see the triune God reveal himself in verses in Scripture, like the one we're looking at, and pretty soon as we start reading Scripture, the way we read it changes. Because we begin to see all over the place where the triune God is, is, is jumping off the page for us. So this particular one, last week we looked at the truth of the fact that, that since Jesus is the Son, that that implies there's a Father. 
And so if Jesus is the son, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus is the son yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus always has been son, always will be son, which, which means there's always been father. Is father now, always has been father, always will be father. And so last week we looked at the truth of God as father. And so now this week we'll look at the truth of God the son. Another verse we looked at last week was, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So this idea that that Jesus is the way to know the Father. And we understand and know this verse is so significant in understanding our salvation. That Jesus came as, as God and came onto this earth so that the way could be opened for a restored relationship with the Father. But this verse also shows us that Jesus is the way to know God. It's through Jesus, through the Son of God, that we are able to see who he is. And so we start with Jesus. We start with the Son, and we're able to see God in the triune nature. So our big idea today is that God is a loving and triune God. Last week we looked at the truth that there's only one God, that God is love and that God is the Father. And we we talked very, very clearly about the fact that it's not that God is just love. And we don't get to define what that means, that rather God does, and and that he he is much more than love. If we look at his characteristics and his attributes, he's much more than love. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. We looked at all of that last week. But that we're focusing on his love to be able to understand how the triune God burst into creation and created each one of us. So we looked at the truth of the fact that the Father always existed with the Son. So we start with God the Son. And the passage that we have for us here is in Colossians chapter 1. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. So God, we we come to you as we look at this passage and we begin to, to examine it and begin to see who you are. As you've revealed yourself to be, I am so grateful, Lord, that as the Holy Spirit breathed these words and, and put them on paper, Lord, that you looked forward to knowing that we'd be looking at them here today. God, I pray that you'd be in each of our hearts working 
that clutter and distractions, Lord, would move away from our minds and our hearts that we might hear what you have to say to us, that we can go away from here changed with a fresh understanding, perhaps, of what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So this passage looks at the truth that, that first, that the Son is eternal, that the Son is eternal, that before all things, the Son was with God. And so we looked last week at the eternality of God, and I confess to you that I have a category somehow in my mind for thinking that I live now and I will live forever. I, I somehow can wrap my head around that, but I have a really hard time wrapping my head around the fact that, that God always was, that there was never a start or never a beginning. But, but Scripture tells us that, that, that God always was and that there was never a beginning. And since Scripture is the truth of God, we are able to believe what it says. And since we know that, it's the inspired text, and it tells us that God always was, we understand and know that, and we believe it. So God always was, and in these verses it says and tells us that the Son always was as well, which means that the Son is God. Now, now how does that play out? I invite you to turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, there's an encounter that Jesus has that gives us a little bit of a glimpse into why this is so hard for people to understand. John chapter 10. And I'd like to begin in verse 22. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's an incredible statement for Jesus to make. He said, I and my Father are one. We are the same. And the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Don't you love that question? I love the way that Jesus teaches. If you read scripture and you watch the way he teaches, he teaches in such a brilliant way, who would expect anything less? He loves these people. He loves them more than any of us can even begin to imagine. And he wants them to know who he is because Jesus came as a visible representation of the thoughts of God. He came to make God known. And in this encounter, there's an opportunity for people to know who he is. And so he asks questions designed to help people learn. He knows why they're picking up the stones. But he asks them the question, 
You have asked me if I'm the Christ. You've asked me if I'm the Messiah. The fact that I've done these miracles in the name of my Father, that I've done these, proves that I'm Christ. So for which of these miracles that proves that I'm Christ, which you just asked me, for which of these are you stoning me? The question is designed for them to answer, oh wow, you are the Christ. But his sheep hear his voice. Those who aren't his sheep have a hard time listening. The answer here is, is, is very helpful. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Herein lies the amazing beauty of the Son of God. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, deity in bodily form. They recognized and knew he was a man. They could tell he was a man. It was clear he was a man, and yet he claimed to be God, which, which leaves everyone with an option. Been said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, right? You've heard that. But the truth is, what are you going to do with this information? Is he telling the truth or is he not? Because he's claiming to be God. So if he isn't God, then you can't trust any of his teachings. But indeed, he is God. And so we can trust that. That God took on flesh. Philippians 2 says he he emptied himself. He he, he made himself nothing. We should go there. Philippians chapter 2, powerful passage that talks about this, this idea of Christ coming and taking on flesh. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, verse 6 of Philippians chapter 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And so this passage is telling us that he's equal with God, but has taken on the very nature of man. And so the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and, and Jesus was conceived. Now, the reason there wasn't a man and a woman is because they would have created a new person. We didn't need a new person. There is a person in the Son who always has been. And deity and humanity come together in Christ, not an amalgamation, it's not a blending, there's two natures in one person. Fully God, fully man. Amazing to consider. The purpose and the reason is so that the love of God could be understood by those he'd created. God stepped into this world to make himself known in the person of Jesus. For that to happen, he had to veil his glory. There was a need for him to veil his glory because no one can see God and live, Scripture tells us. And so he put on a human flesh that veiled his glory and allowed him to walk among us and to reveal himself to us. Jesus Son of God, eternal, 
He's the beloved. He's the son that is loved by the father, our verses tell us. He's the creator and the sustainer. He's he's the one who, who God spoke and things came into being. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The very word of God in the beginning. The son that God loves. It tells us that he is the heir in this verse. It tells us that all things were created by The better word there is through. Everything was created through him and for him. Created through him and for him. He is the heir of all things. It was his overflowing love for the son that motivated the father to create. And creation is his gift to the son. The father makes his son the inheritor, the heir of all things. And so the son is not only the motivating origin of creation, he is its goal. The son is the alpha, omega, beginning and end of creation. Now here we come to something astounding. Because the father's love for the son has burst out to be shared with us, the son's inheritance is also extraordinarily shared with us. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It's a physical expression of the marvelous truth that the Father shares his love of the Son with us. The meek shall inherit the earth. See, the creation is the bursting forth of the Father's love through the Son. Last week, we looked at the idea that, that the lamp and the light that comes from the lamp are are inseparable. When the lamp goes on, the light comes forth. And and we looked at how how that's how the sun radiates the light of the Father. We understand every analogy breaks down at some point. So a finite lamp cannot in any way help us fully understand who who God of the universe is. But it helps us consider that when you see light shining on me, you understand and know there's a source of that light. And that the two are inseparable. And so the radiation or the radiance of the Father, Jesus is the radiance of the Father, the heir. He secures our salvation. He he redeems us. He, He takes us and he buys us back from that which we've sold ourselves to. Because our sin is our selling ourselves to another lover. That's what our sin is. It's it's taking the love that we've been designed to pour into Christ and into God, and it's taking that and pouring it into someone or something else. And God, through Jesus, redeems us back from that. And he reconciles all things to himself. Another thing we see in Colossians chapter 2, just back a couple of pages from where we were, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I should wait for you to get there, shouldn't I? Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, 
who is the head over every power and authority. See, all the fullness of God is in Jesus. He's fully God. All the fullness of the deity. And you have been given fullness in Christ. If you've come to a point in your life where you've realized that that Jesus is the Son of God, if you realize that your sins have earned you the wrath of God and have turned you away from God, if you've come to a place in your life where you've, you've understood and known that there's something that stands between you and the God who created you and you've, you've turned from that and you've, you've asked God to forgive you through Jesus and, and you've asked him to come into your life and accept, you, and accept him as Lord, then what's happened is you've received a fullness in Christ. Just as Christ has a fullness of the deity, we have the fullness of Christ in us. Oh, he is so much the Son of God. As we begin to understand who he is within the Trinity, as we look, we see that he is the king. Jesus is the king. You'll remember, maybe you remember, when the wise men came, right? And the wise men came to Herod, and they asked him a question. Do you remember the question they asked? They asked, anybody over here in this section or this section? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Right? Where is he? Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? What a most unusual question. And Herod said, I don't know. I don't read the Bible that much. Let me check with some other people. That's not exactly what he said. (laughs) And so he had the scriptures observed and he knew that it was Bethlehem. Later, as Jesus stood before Pilate, in one of the most interesting conversations I think there is in, in scripture, John chapter 18. John chapter 18. As Jesus who has already been before a couple of trials and has already been beaten, has already been slapped, has already been spit on, stands before one of the most powerful men in one of the most powerful empires that has ever been. As Jesus stands before him on trial, this powerful man comes to him and and in, in verse 30, summoned Jesus and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, beaten, bruised, spat upon, replies, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Still teaching. Do you see that? About our amazing Jesus? Wanting Pilate to learn. Am I a Jew? Replied Pilate. It was your own people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you've done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and I came into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. To which Pilate replies, what is truth? But apparently, somehow, in the midst of this conversation, Jesus made an impact on Pilate because there was a sign that was placed above him as he hung on the cross. 
And it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You see, Jesus comes as a king which is significant because it fulfills so many of the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures. See, we, we celebrate Jesus, and many times in the church we celebrate Jesus as being ours. <laughs> and, and amen, Jesus is my Savior. Oh, yes. But he is the king of the Jews. He is their long-awaited Messiah. He will sit on the throne of David. He is the one who is waited for. He is the Christ, is in Greek, but Messiah is the Hebrew. That He is, he is the Messiah, the long-awaited one who would come, the promised one, the one anointed. And we'll look at that next week when we look at the Holy Spirit. He is the anointed one, the one who was waited for. He is the Christ. Our verse that we're looking at, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, if Jesus is not the Messiah, if Jesus is not this promised king, if he's not the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, if he is not all these things, then he's not who he claims to be. But it's okay because he is all that he claims that he is. Amen? Amen. I'm pretty good. I like that, all right? That's pretty good. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. He's the Messiah. He's the priest. Therefore, Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Jesus is our great high priest. The author of Hebrews does a wonderful job of helping us understand the fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures by the Messiah, by Jesus, by the Christ. We don't have time to linger there today. But I urge you to do that on on your own sometime. But he is the great high priest. You see, we need a high priest. We must have a mediator. There is no way to step into the Father's presence apart from a mediator, apart from a high priest. And in in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, as we look at that, we see that there was the high priest. And the Day of Atonement, the the high priest would would make atonement for the sins uh, of the nation. We still need atonement for our sins. It's, 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 It's terribly prideful to think that we don't need to have our sins atoned for. We do. And that atonement is made through Christ Jesus. Our, our sins are paid for through Christ. We need a high priest. See, I'm, I'm not that person. You can't come to me to confess your sins. You need to go to God. No man on earth can do that. There's no mediator between God and, 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 and a man that is another man. The only mediator is our high priest, one who was tempted in every way we were, yet was without sin. That's the amazing thing. Fully God, fully man, a man who lived and never once sinned, never once, lived a perfect and spotless life. He was tempted in every way. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about one of the deepest, darkest temptations you have in your life? One of those, one of those really filthy ones that we all cover up with a Christian smile? You know those temptations? 
we have a high priest who understands that. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. He's mediating for us. The high priest in, in, in the Old Testament would wear, would wear a, a, a plaque on his chest that had the jewels of the nations. And as he prayed, as he offered prayer for the, for the people, he was offering them with the people on his heart. He would offer prayers for the people with the people on his heart. We get a glimpse of that in John 17. In John 17, our high priest offers what I would say we could look at as a priestly prayer because he prays with us on his heart. And John 17 is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. We won't look at the whole thing. I urge you to stop, take time and read it during the week. But he starts here in John 17, verses 25 and 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There's this beautiful, beautiful truth that Jesus came to make God known. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God, and the Word came and made his dwelling among us. God came and dwelt among us to reveal to us who he is, to make him known. And I, I love how many times throughout Scripture Jesus says, you have seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. If, you, if you've experienced life with me, you've experienced life with the Father. You know God because you know me. I came to make God known to you. Amazing when we think of it. This book that I recommended to you last week, The Lighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. There's something that Jesus says at the end of his prayer in John 17 that shows clearly what it means for him to be the glory of God who shines out from the Father or the word of God who goes out from God. The Father loved him before the creation of the world. And the reason the Father sends him is so that the Father's love for him might be in others also. That is why the Son goes out from the Father in both creation and salvation, that the love of the Father for the Son might be shared. Because in a sense, the Son is a model for creation. His response to the Father serves as the model for how creation and all creatures should respond themselves. So the fact that that the Son is the model for creation shows us how the, the creation should respond to the Creator. Just as the Father decided to include us in His love for the Son, to share it with us, which is what creation is. Okay, creation is the Father including us in the love that He has for the Son. So just as that, he delights to echo the Father's love back to him because the Son chose to include us in his love for the Father. And this is what it is to be beside God, to image him, to be his child. We've been created that, knowing his love, we might love the Lord our God. 
So Jesus came to make God known. God is love. The sun is the radiance of the love of God. The radiance of the love of God that flows into our world and into our lives. And we see within Christ, we see the beloved. We see God bestowing love on the Son. And we see the Son responding in love for the Father. A love that, that causes obedience. And so Jesus, obedient to God the Father in everything he does as a response to the love that's being poured out on him. And that love extends from the Father to Christ to us. Perhaps we can see that if we look a little bit more into John 17. The Son receives and gives glory. And now, Father, glorify me with your presence, in your presence, with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's this idea that, that Jesus had glory with the Father and he veiled it while he came onto earth. And as he's praying this prayer, the night he was betrayed, he says, restore to me the glory. I'm going to unveil this and I'm going to come back into the glory I've always had with you. But most interestingly, in verse 22, he says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me. That, that they may be one as we are one. Do you see it there in 22? May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given to me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Man, catch this. God has poured his glory into the Son. And the Son has given us, who've trusted him as Savior, he's given us that glory. You've been given the glory of God. And you see that the reason is because it's supposed to radiate from us. The same way that the light of God radiates through the sun, as the sun comes into our lives, he radiates out of us to a world that desperately needs to know the glory of God, his love, his compassion, his goodness, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy. It's all radiating into us through the sun so that it can radiate out of us into a world that, listen to me, desperately needs to know. All the glory, all the glory of God has been poured into us, has been shared with us. Thank you. Does that excite you? Okay, here, pull your hands out from under your legs and go like this. <laughs> See, that's the Son. God the Father is not just some distant God who's dropping little commandments down into our world. God put on flesh and walked among us so that we could behold his glory and share in that glory. Oh, boy. Gabe and the team are coming up. Do you know my Jesus? I wonder, do, do you know him? 
or do you know about him? Have you, have you heard about him and you've wondered what it all is, or do you know him? This week, we set up our nativity scene outside the, our house. It's one of those plastic ones that light up, realistic, you know? And, and, and two doors down from us is, is a young man who comes to church here with, with, with his wife and kids. And his two-year-old son, uh, on that night, they turned the corner to come on our street. And the two-year-old boy said, look, Daddy, Jesus came back. <laughs> he gets it. He was excited about it. See, he saw the radiance of baby Jesus, and he was excited about it. Do you know my Jesus? Don't be content to know about him because you're missing it so bad. 